Well, News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. And it is my great pleasure to welcome back to the program former Congressman Gil Gutnick, who we have not spoken to, well, since last year. Good morning, Gil. Good morning, Andy. And uh, I'm glad to see that you're back, uh, you know, above the grass. Yeah, well, it's, you know, I had an ordeal earlier this year, and that kind of um, was one of the reasons I had not uh, contacted you earlier, but I'm super happy to have the opportunity to get caught up. Well, there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah, there certainly is. Um, you mentioned to me before we started the program that last week you you got to take part in what I think is a really neat event that's what they've been doing it for like 15, 16, 17 years, something like that, right? This was the 16th year, and I think I have participated in every single one. Uh, it's the teed up for the troops uh, golf tournament. Lynn Clary and his team do an unbelievable job. This may be one of the best run golf tournament, charity tournaments uh, in the United States. Uh, lots of wonderful corporate sponsors. They raise a boatload of money. Everybody has fun. But the highlight of which is the, the opportunity to essentially say thank you uh, to a lot of uh, veterans, uh, those that are living, and, and more importantly, some that gave the last full measure of the devotion to this country. It, it's it's very emotional, uh, particularly to me. I think I was talking to somebody else at lunch, and uh, they made the point that uh, during the ceremonies, particularly when they, when they recognize the Gold Star Mothers, I mean, there's barely a, a dry eye in, in the whole crowd. I mean, it really is amazing. And these these wonderful young, uh, I say young, they're probably in their 30s now. But these young Marines uh, are part of the, the presentation and the ceremony. They look like a million bucks in their, in their dress, blue uniforms. Uh, and I think uh, the, the Gold Star mothers, the mothers who have lost uh, a son in battle, uh, I think they appreciated very, very much that uh, they're still being recognized and, and still being appreciated. Uh, and then to top it off, I got to play golf with those young Marines. And uh, and we had a whole lot of fun. We actually played pretty well. We finished seven under. We were very, very proud of that. And so I think a great time was had by all. It's, it's a, as I say, it may be one of the best uh events that i have the privilege to participate in each year and and as i say i've done it for 16 years and god willing i'll, I'll do it for a few more do they still line the uh fairways with all the flags as uh, they have in the past do they ever i mean every year it gets better just when you think lynn clary cannot top it <laughs> he finds some way to get over that top and they have flags along the fairways they they, uh, we had a jump. We had a couple of uh, uh, Navy SEALs who uh, parachuted in. Um, they will have a flyover some years of, of uh, old uh, planes, sometimes some new planes. Uh, but every year there's something a little bit new, and, and there's sort of a dwindling supply of World War II veterans. And I got a chance to shake their hands. There were seven of them there yesterday, the oldest of which was 104 years old. Wow. And his story is so amazing. Um, he was a medic, a young medic. I think he was 19 years old, and he went ashore 
uh, at Omaha Beach. Oh, he did? Normandy. Wow. I cannot imagine, having visited Normandy, I cannot imagine what it was like to wade ashore, let alone to be a medic. I mean, when we were there, we, we were shown a machine gun nest where the Germans had set up that had a perfect view of the beach. And when they finally overran that, that machine gun nest, they discovered 10,000 rounds of spent ammunition. Think about that. Perched up on a hill, ready to shoot everybody who comes on ground, comes to shore. And, the, and that medic, and I apologize right now, I forget his name. His, his nickname was Red. Uh, his hair was not red anymore. But, but uh, to, be, to have been a medic... Uh, amid all of that carnage uh, and, and to come back and be sane uh, is just yeah. a, an amazing tribute to him and his character well that entire generation um, you know, growing up in the Great Depression and the hardships everybody in this country had to endure and then to be asked to do what they did um, I can't even comprehend it and when he said he's 19 years old and I think back what I was doing when I was 19 years old. There's no comparison. I mean, it's not, it's like a totally different planet. And the thought that those young men in those amphibious landing craft lined up to jump out of those boats, knowing full well that half or more weren't going to be with us yeah. in a matter of seconds or minutes. Yeah. And then to yeah. do it anyway. And they could see what was going on ahead of them. I mean, yeah, yeah, and and uh, and, it, and beyond that, then after they had 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 uh, driven the Germans off the beachhead there at Normandy, I mean, they regrouped and marched inward and ultimately liberated Paris. And his unit went on and fought in the Battle of the Bulge, and all the way to the German border. And uh, for some reason, his unit it sounded like they were not allowed to go on into Germany. But uh, but the fighting that he saw all the way along the way must have been just amazing. And, and you know, and we're losing at one time we were losing 10,000 World War Two veterans a week. I don't know what that number is. It's probably smaller now because there's so many of them now that are in their late 90s, the ones who are still alive. Right. So uh, it, it's so inspiring to participate in something like that and to get a chance just to say thank you to those guys. Uh, for what they did, it's amazing. It, it truly is. I'm. I can't imagine being able to participate at that level with these, as you pointed out. They're you know, a hundred years old or older now. And I was lucky enough. I count myself lucky enough that when I was going through school, many of my teachers were World War II vets. Oh yeah. And and what I gained from them and the, the stories they would tell during the cl our class time that may not have been part of the curriculum, perhaps, but it was spellbinding. Well, they certain weren't, certainly weren't the spoiled generation. No. I, there's, there's something going around the Internet. You might have seen it, one of these memes, they call it. And looking at the younger people today with all the woes that they face, whether it be student loan debt, high housing costs, this, that, and the next thing. And talking to an older person that you wouldn't just understand how the world is so much different now. It's a lot harder for people our age. And then was comparing what a person of that generation went through. Yeah. <laughs> and you go, okay, that kind of puts it in perspective pretty quickly. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. They they understood that if you wanted a helping hand, it was right at the end of your sleeve. Yeah. <laughs> well, Gail, why don't we take a quick break? We'll come back and we'll kind of dive into some of the issues facing us today. Uh, on Rochester today with former Congressman Gil Gutnick this morning on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Cybersecurity technology protects critical systems. Gutnick with us this morning. I'm Andy Brownell on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Well, Gil, I guess, uh, I guess we better not ignore the big elephant in the room. Uh, the news has been completely dominated uh, for the past few weeks by... The uh, FBI raid on former President Trump's, I don't know, what do you want to call it? It's a mansion. It's the Mar-a-Lago mansion. It's a, one of the most beautiful properties in the entire country. Unprecedented. I, I, I guess I'm eager to hear your take on all of this. Well, first of all, I've never been to Mar-a-Lago, so I don't know what it really is like. You know, But the people who've been there say it's, uh, it's like a different planet <laughs> to be inside it. Uh, but uh, no, I think this is this is one of this is a scary time. I think in America, because uh, it, it, I have spent enough time studying what happened in East Germany with the, the police state called the Stasi, and what they did to the German people to keep them afraid. And you don't you don't have to you don't have to abuse your power with everyone to keep people afraid. You just have to do it to enough so that they're constantly on edge thinking they may be investigated for something. And as um, I think it was Stalin who said, you know, give me the man and I'll find the crime. And what they would do is they would, uh, if they found somebody that they thought was politically uh, not favorable to the the regime, uh, they would trump up charges against them and they would intimidate them and their family and help get their mind right. And if they didn't get their mind right, they would send them off to uh, the gulags in uh, in uh, northeastern Russia, uh, where it got very cold. But they had, you know, they needed labor to work in the mines and so forth. Um, I don't think we're at that point, but but I'll tell you what what happened there and what is happening in general. Uh, this this sort of multifaceted uh, system of justice where. Uh, you take in, in some of our most crime-infested neighborhoods, criminals are turned loose, okay? They're not held. I mean, somebody can be arrested for a relatively serious crime and be back on the streets within hours. And then at the same time, certain political crimes, uh, whether it be the bogus uh, Russian collusion investigation, which, remember, went on for almost three years, right? The federal government, between the the Mueller investigation and the other investigations, spent upwards of $40 million investigating crimes that never happened. Okay, think about that. Uh, And and then to to escalate this by actually getting a search warrant and, and, and literally rummaging through the president's residence, the former president's residence, for nine and a half hours when they claimed at the beginning, nothing about their story makes sense. Nothing. I mean, they claimed it was because he had documents that were uh, uh, secret and and needed to be returned uh, to the federal government. Okay. They knew where the documents were, they said. They were in a storage cabinet or a storage room 
that they had they had already asked the, the the former president to put a new lock on that door, which he did, and uh, and 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 now we know that most of the documents they supposedly were looking for had been declassified. Uh, the president, former President Trump, had every right to have these documents. But beyond that, why were they rummaging through his closets? Why did they go through uh, the former first lady's shoes, for example? I mean, if in fact they knew what they were going after, what they, they knew what they needed, uh, the, and if the uh, search warrant were specific, which it was not, uh, and if they had a probable cause. I mean, the idea, I almost got arrested at Chicago Air, O'Hare Airport because they wanted to give me a full body cavity search. And they said, do you mind if we pat you down and go through your luggage? And I said, no, not as long as you have a search warrant or probable cause. And they they, they stepped back. And, I mean, they were sort of in shock that anybody would challenge them. And I said, no, it's in the Constitution. You don't have a right to go through my personal property or, or, or search me personally unless you have a search warrant or probable cause. It's in the Constitution. Oh, my. We almost had a crisis at O'Hare Airport. Uh, finally, I relented so that I could be on my way. But we Americans have been too quick to give up our basic rights. And groups like the FBI and this Justice Department have demonstrated that they will bend the rules as far as we will allow them to bend them. And uh, it really is time that we bend them back and put them back in their in their case and remind them, you know, our friends on the left continue to say, well, we're, you know, th- th- this is a, a crisis for our democracy uh, that that Donald Trump is, you know, somehow at large and has documents in his possession. And we we suspect let me just say I suspect that the documents that they're really concerned about are the most damning documents for the FBI. That's the documents they don't want him to have in his possession. And there are also documents that shortly before he left the White House, he signed the, the executive order making it clear that they were not uh, top secret, that they had been declassified, and therefore he has every right to have them in his possession. And I think he's just waiting for the right moment to disclose more and more of this information about what the FBI and others did to him uh, in this Russian investigation. Do you think uh, as far as the politics of this are all concerned, um, helps or hinders the former president if he's considering 2024? Well, I would say right now it helps him. Uh, His support among Republicans and independents has gone up. The latest polls have him trouncing uh, Joe Biden pretty handily. Uh, And and that's the short term. I'm always concerned about saying, you know, taking an instant poll and saying, oh, well, yeah, that's what's going to happen. We don't know for sure what will happen six weeks from now. But I can't imagine that the Justice Department and the FBI can look any better through this. Um, And I think there's a growing sense that these agencies have to be put on a much shorter leash. And I think as this story evolves, I don't really, you know, when, when the, the, uh, the uh, attorney general who claims that he approved it and did not share that with President Biden, I have a hard time believing that. Uh, it may well technically be true that he didn't share 
the fact that they were going to raid uh, President Trump's Mar-a-Lago. It may have shared. He may not have shared that specific information with the president, but I got to believe he shared it with his chief of staff. And that's almost the same thing. I, I cannot believe that Joe Biden did not know about this. And so I think as we go forward, I think it's going to be a, a tremendous if there is a political bump from this, it will help uh, it will help President Trump. In fact, in some respects, they may have the thing that they feared the most may actually come to pass. And that is they may help reelect uh, Donald Trump. That was uh, the theme of a lot of the opinion pieces I read in the day after the raid that. It seemed as if Donald Trump's chances of being a viable candidate were diminishing as time passed as we headed towards 2024. But the irony was that the actions of the Justice Department may have just basically resurrected him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, time will time will tell. And, And but here's the thing. You know, you don't need machine guns and 31 FBI agents and you don't need to rummage through the closets if all you're after is some top secret documents that may well have been declassified anyway. And we're not top secret. So, um, you know, we'll see this all play out. But for as of right now, I think the Justice Department uh, looks very, very bad. And I think average Americans. Now, it's one thing to say that Trump supporters are, are reacting angrily. But I think a whole lot of Americans are sort of scratching their heads and saying, hey, this kind of crap doesn't happen in places like the United States. I mean, it may happen in uh, banana republics and it may happen, you know, in the former Soviet Union and it may happen in China and it may happen in some of these other despotic places, but it doesn't happen here. And just to say, well, they had a, they had a judge who signed off on a court order. Well, even the judge seems awfully suspect today. Well, even, uh, I mean, the discussion of releasing the affidavit is seemingly going the president of the former president's way, whereas the Justice Department is being adamant, saying they don't want that released. And the judge is indicating, well, we'll probably release at least some of this. So that'll yeah, be interesting I, I think in itself. One constitutional expert was interviewed about that. And he said, you know, I've been practicing law for over 50 years. And it's always the group that wants the information released is almost always the innocent party. All right, Gil, we're going to take a break for news already. Former Congressman Gil Gutnick with us this morning. I'm Andy Brownell. We will return in just a few minutes on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Paid for by Christian Care Ministry. You know, it's true. Difficult time. Monday morning. Former Congressman Gil Gutnick with us. I'm Andy Brownell on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Gil, the one aspect of this whole situation we haven't really discussed is the... um, but the what about ism part of it, I guess, <laughs> when people bring up, um, well, I guess, the comparisons to what happened in Mar-a-Lago and the ongoing arguments and discussions about the former President Trump's document stash and and what Hillary Gate, I guess, would call it the email server scandal and how the Justice Department handled that investigation. Any comment concerning those comparisons? Well, yeah, I mean, out in front of the Supreme Court, there's a there's a statue of of this uh, uh, goddess holding up a scales, and and, uh, and underneath it, it says equal justice under the law. Okay, I mean, one of the great things about this democratic republic, compared to almost every other country previous to this, is that it was founded on the basic idea 
that we all are entitled to equal justice under the law. There isn't a separate set of uh, judicial standards for the wealthy and then another standard for the poor, okay? Everyone is equal before the law. But that implies that, that our Justice Department and, and their military arm, the FBI, treat everybody equal as well, okay? And what you see is the way they treated Hillary Clinton when she had over 30,000 documents that were under subpoena and they were destroyed. And the FBI made no serious effort, even, first of all, they made no serious effort to get those, those documents, if you will, or at least the electronic versions of which. They made no attempt to try and secure those documents and then get them, okay? But more importantly, they made no serious effort to try to reconstitute them. And and uh, I have a, I have sources. Let me put it this way. And I almost um, and and I have sources who are in the right place who speak with a certain level of authority that have assured me that both the Russians and the Chinese do have all of those documents. Okay, but somehow they could get them, but our FBI could not. Uh, I'm not an expert on how these hard drives work, but more importantly, uh, she had she and her staff had something like seven Blackberries. Okay, those Blackberries belong to the federal government, right? Um, they were destroyed with hammers. Uh, where's the prosecution of her? Uh, and then there's the, the the interesting little case of of uh, President Biden's son. And he had that laptop. And apparently it is just chock full of very incriminating evidence of things that he did. Influence peddling, um, child pornography. I mean, there's all kinds of things that supposedly are on that. And the FBI has done nothing, nothing. And they would have done even less, except that the, 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 the poor guy who owned the, uh, the repair shop made a copy of his hard drive and he shared it with people like Rudy Giuliani. So some of the information is out there. If Rudy Giuliani has access to that information, certainly the FBI does. And, and so there's been, as far as we can tell, no serious investigation of, uh, of Mr. Biden and more importantly, and, and the connections that it may have with, with president Biden. Let, and let me just add one last point, you know, President Trump was impeached for some comments that he made to the president of, uh, of uh, Ukraine, wasn't it? The Ukraine. And, uh, and yet we have former vice president, now president, uh, who literally blackmailed. Uh, and, and he bragged about it, that if they didn't get rid of this uh, federal prosecutor, that they weren't going to get the billion-dollar loan guarantee. And... Uh, I mean, if that's not blackmail, you know, I don't know what is. And he did it by his own admission. He seemed to be quite proud of it. Um, So there's this dual standard of justice and is there for all Americans to see. Now, some will never see it. Okay, we understand that there are some people who are so partisan and so blinded, they can't see this. But I think a growing uh, chorus of Americans not only see it, but are saying this has got to stop. I mean, we can't have one set of justice for people we don't like and, and another set of justice for people that we do. 
the the Justice Department and the FBI have been incredibly politicized, and now it's being weaponized, and and that is not acceptable in a country that has claims to have equal justice under the law. We wanted well, we'll take a quick break. Why don't we do that? We'll get the business out of the way. We'll come back and maybe shift gears a little bit. Uh, more discussions with former Congressman Gil Gutnick here on Rochester Today, News Talk 1340, KROC AM, and 96.9 FM. Hi, this is Robin Gwaltney with the Gwaltney Group of REMAX Resort. Now back on the air, former Congressman Gil Gutnick. I'm Andy Brownell, and it is News Talk 1340, KROC AM, and 96.9 FM. Uh, I know, Gil, all, all these years we've been doing these programs on and off. One of the topics we, we always seem to discuss, because you seem to have a great interest in it, uh, is energy. And <laughs> this summer we had uh, warnings of potential rolling blackouts, and, uh, even you know, here in the Midwest. And, and we saw the gas prices spike at levels we hadn't seen before. It's obviously uh, become a very concerning issue for almost everyone. Well, it's having a big impact worldwide. I mean, you look at Europe. I mean, they became dependent on the Russians for, you know, over half of their natural gas. And now the Russians have slowed down the spigots to the point where they're very concerned about what's going to happen next winter. But more importantly, it has an impact on their industry. Uh, You know, every modern economy runs on energy. Every modern economy runs a lot better on relatively affordable and abundant energy, okay? And we have people in our government today who don't seem to understand that. They, they think that everybody, you know, if, if gasoline prices are high, everybody should just go out and buy a Tesla. Well, number one, not everybody can afford a Tesla. But uh, I may have sent you an article this morning as well. Uh, it's a picture of, uh, of a lithium uh, uh, pond yes. situation in South America. And those lithium ponds, uh, we can't really do this on radio, but you you can look this up uh, on Google. Just Google lithium settling ponds, and you'll see pictures of these big settling ponds. And this one covers, I'm guessing, you know, 500 acres. And these ponds are set up so that that the salt water, uh, sort of as it it, uh, evaporates, it leaves a higher concentration of lithium. But but in the process, the water and the lithium create a toxic mixture that if a bird lands in it, it will die within minutes. And these all these advocates for electric vehicles, for example, and I, I happen to believe that long term, we will see more electric vehicles. But I think there's going to have to be a technology development or invention or some kind of a, a technology breakthrough so that we can make batteries much more efficiently and and batteries that will hold a charge longer and be rechargeable without using so much rare earth material. But this lithium is critical to every electric car uses hundreds and hundreds of pounds of lithium. Um, If we were to begin to convert at the rate that a lot of our friends on the left believe we have to, to electric vehicles, for example, we would have to probably open at least a dozen lithium mines in the United States, and we'd have to have dozens of these uh, lithium ponds. Well, if you just look at those and you think about that and what it's going to take to refine that raw ore into usable lithium, there is no way, no way the environmentalists are going to allow that to happen. So all of this is a big pipe dream that just it doesn't work. 
You know, it doesn't work. And I think it's up to people like me to at least prick the conscience of Americans through whether it's through articles or radio shows with yours and, and with friends and so forth to get the message out that, yeah, we're probably going to move to a, a more of a, an electric future. But that's only going to happen when technology can catch up with these pipe dreams. You know, another part of the issue, you mentioned the the environmental impact of strip mining or whatever kind of mining uh, for lithium and the other um, heavy metals that are needed for these batteries. Right now, as it stands, it's a strategic national, uh, I guess, defense issue because, or national security issue is, I guess, the term I'd rather use because China controls, I think the figure I saw was around 80% of the lithium market. Uh, no, it's actually higher than that. It's almost 90. Okay, almost 90. That's less reassuring. <laughs> and if you saw what the Russians did with the natural gas, if they were, if we were to make this full conversion as rapidly as President Biden and others would choose, I, I, I think it's a legitimate concern that we would be at the mercy of the Chinese and give them great influence over our national policies. Well, it gets worse than that, Andy. Uh, you know, we left uh, billions and billions of dollars worth of equipment in the desert over there in, in Afghanistan. Shortly after we left, the Chinese moved in. Afghanistan is one of the places where there are relatively large reserves of rare earth minerals, including lithium. OK, uh, so now that's all controlled by the Chinese. Uh, we invested mountains of, of money and lots of blood in a place called Afghanistan. And what we got in return long term is the Chinese came in after we were gone and took control of everything that's worth anything uh, in in that country. So it's a sad story that actually gets worse. Do you think uh, we'll ever seriously consider um, nuclear energy again as a major source of power? I mean, because if you look at the environmental impact, other than right now the long storage of the waste... Uh, the you know so-called carbon footprint is close to zero. Well, as you know, Andy, I'm a big fan of uh, Winston Churchill, and Winston Churchill said Americans always do the right thing once we've exhausted every other possibility, and and I think that's sort of where we're going. Is that as the reality of some of this pipe dream, as I say it, uh, begins to sink in. Maybe not to the far left, but I think the average American will begin to understand that, you know, you you just can't convert an economy this big and this sophisticated to a, quote, green energy, you know, uh, overnight. Uh, We will make that conversion, but it's going to take a long time. And more importantly, we are blessed that here in the United States, we have at least a 50 year supply of natural gas. I'm working on a column I've been noodling on this column for quite a while to write for Town Hall about how frustrated I I am with the CEOs of the energy companies. Um, It's bad enough that a lot of our our scientists and engineers, whether it be in the Department of Energy or or some of the other uh, science-based agencies that we have in the United States, and we've got some amazing – We've got some great scientists, and we've got some agencies that employ some great scientists. They all know better. 
I mean, they all know this. They all know about lithium. They all know how efficient natural gas is. They know how efficient natural gas turbines are. But, but you know, the average American doesn't know. And shame on the energy companies for not telling people. I mean, the energy companies have an amazingly good story to tell. Let me just share a couple of points, and I don't want to take too much time. But, you know, even at $4.55 a gallon, I think that's what it was at one of the stations I drove by this morning. Locally, yeah, it was higher than other places. Yeah, but let's say, let's say $5 a gallon. Even yeah. at $5 a gallon, for a gallon of gasoline, what it will do for Americans is amazing. It's equivalent that the energy you get out of a gallon of gasoline is some, equivalent to something like 400 man hours of labor. Think about that. But more importantly, just look at it this way. If you have a family of four and a, a medium-sized sedan, that gallon of gasoline will push you 30 miles down the highway. Now, how many people would get out and push that vehicle 30 miles for $5? I mean, the, what we point. get from a gallon of gasoline is amazing. But more, even more amazing is how efficient natural gas is. And more importantly, natural gas is 80% hydrogen. Okay, it will vary depending on the well, but but use that as a number. It's eight parts hydrogen to one part. Uh, I'm sorry, it's four parts hydrogen to one part carbon. Okay, that that's that's what a natural gas reduced to its basic element. That's what it is. So when you're burning natural gas, you're burning 80 percent hydrogen. When you burn hydrogen, the only byproduct you get is water vapor. It is so much cleaner than people even know. And here the energy companies aren't even telling their story. They have, they have such amazing stories to tell and how, what it's done for our economy and our standard of living. I mean, you and I, well, you may not be old enough to remember, but there are people listening to this radio show who will remember when air conditioning for your home was opening up the windows. Oh, yeah, I grew up that way. I didn't yeah, have we, air conditioning until I moved into the house I'm in now. Yeah, and, and and we you know and even in the car, the idea of having an air conditioner in the car, you air conditioned your car when it was ninety degrees by rolling down the windows. Okay, <laughs> that's what you did. But today we take for granted all of these things that we have that run on energy. All right, and most of us aren't willing to give it up. And if we're not willing to give it up, which is really what some of the left wants us to do. They don't just want us to eat meat. They don't want us to enjoy air conditioning. They don't want us to, they don't want us to have fun. Okay. They, they, they want to take all the fun and the pleasure out of life. Well, most Americans don't want to do that. And if they don't want to do that, then we're going to have to have the most efficient and the cleanest energy we can get. And that's natural gas. But even gasoline is much more efficient and cleaner than most people think. In fact, here's an interesting thing about diesel engines. We think of diesel engines being clean or being very dirty and you see the smoke coming out of the stacks. The modern diesel engines are 99% efficient. Think about that. If a modern diesel engine, you will see no smoke going out of that stack. And that's because we, we have improved the technology to the point where uh, we not only burn virtually all the carbon that, that can be, but, but the carbon that isn't burned is collected now in a uh, uh, in a filter, right. and that filter can be that filter can be actually cleaned, and that carbon can be taken out, and it can actually be sold. So, you know, people don't realize how far technology has moved, and how much more efficient and how much cleaner the environment is today than it was when I was a kid growing up. When almost all the houses, uh, almost all the houses east of the house where I grew up, 
were still heated with coal. Oh, yeah. You take a cold morning, walk into school, and it would be, if, if there was no wind, I mean, the coal dust and the coal smell was just thick in the air. We don't have that anymore. And people take that for granted. But they're not going to take it for granted if we try to take away the natural gas, the gasoline, and the hydrocarbons. I, I hate it when the energy companies even use the term fossil fuels. Fossils have almost nothing to do with this chemical process. Uh, we should call them hydrocarbons. And, and hydrogen and carbon are the two most com- common elements in the universe. So let's let's just deal with it. Let's build better technology. And along the way, we can improve the standard of living. We can have enough energy at, at affordable prices. And we will move to a much greener future. All right, Gil. I think we are out of time. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd like to continue chatting with you, but we'll have to do this again. Hopefully, hopefully the gap will not be as long as it was the last time. uh, Well, with modern technology, with modern technology, we can do this from anywhere in the world. Yeah. Well, and speaking of modern technology, that's what allows me to be here today. I saw the miracle of what they can do with medicine today. That's for sure. Up, up close. So. I am a believer in that. That's for sure. All right, Gil. Hey, thanks. Appreciate it. Former Congressman Gil Goodnick with us this morning. It's Ben Rochester today. Tom Ostrom in tomorrow on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Business owners, the first impression you make with a potential customer 